Welcome to the Hope Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and TuneIn. Welcome to today's podcast of Hope Talks. I'm Margaret Michael. And I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for joining us today. And today we're joined by Joel Ballou. Joel, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good this morning. The weather in the valley is sunny and bright, and it's going to be a beautiful day. Well, Joel, as we get started on these talks, we usually ask people a very simple question, and that is, and it's a summertime question for most people. Some people would be a wintertime question, too, but more summertime. So what type of ice cream is your favorite? Ice cream. Oh, uh, homemade banana ice cream, hands down. Wow. Yeah, I anticipated that question, actually. <laughs> I totally didn't, but <laughs> homemade banana ice cream. That's that's always, that's my favorite. It's always yeah. been my favorite. Yep. So, yeah, banana grape nut. Yeah? It tops it for me. Grape, banana, okay, I'll yeah, try grape nut. It gives nuts. a little crunch. Yeah, I'll try that in the next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how about you, Grayson? Vanilla. Vanilla. Yeah. It's always vanilla. It doesn't change. It changes with me every time I have a new favorite. But You've gone banana grape nut the last couple weeks. Well, I fall back on banana grape nut, but I did just have that strawberry pretzel ice cream at Smiley's. It yeah. was awesome. So, it does sound good, too. Yeah. It does, does it go back to anything? When did you start liking that? I, you know, I, I'm not sure. I just... I'm a sucker for those like tropical pineapple, yeah. coconut, uh-huh. key lime, banana, and that's, that's just, summertime right there. It is. That is. It's yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, Joel, uh, we mentioned uh, that you're from Open Doors, and we'll get to mm-hmm. that. But if you would just like to start out telling us a little bit about where you're from and about how you grew up. Sure. Uh, well, I'm a native of the Shenandoah Valley. Um, I grew up in Mint Spring, which is uh, just south of yeah. Stanton, mm-hmm. so Augusta County is home. Went to high school there, uh, made my way a little further north for college. I was an undergrad at Bridgewater College, and then uh, from there went on to seminary at uh, Easter Mennonite Seminary. Okay. So uh, so I got my MDiv from right here in the valley. And then I actually uh, pastored for 10 years. Um, my background is Church of the Brethren, so that's uh, pretty well known in this part of the state. Certainly. Um, so I was, uh, yeah, I pastored for 10 years, and then... Uh, made my way a, a little further north, was an executive director at uh, one of our camping conference centers, Pennsylvania, uh, not too far outside of uh, Harrisburg, Lancaster, kind of Philly area, and uh, was there for seven years. And the direction was to head back towards home uh, after those seven years. Um, I worked at a degree program at uh, University of Pennsylvania for nonprofit leadership and uh, NGO, uh, social policy kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and was looking to make a change into that nonprofit sector mm-hmm. where in some ways you have a very direct connection with the people that you're serving. For me, that ended up being a door that opened uh, literally to Open Doors. Um, I've been with Open Doors now for literally just over a year. I started June 1st of 2020 in the height of the pandemic. <laughs> And uh, it's been a crazy, topsy-turvy, uh, yes. absolutely amazing year um, in the midst of what has been for so many of us a year of intense transition and change, uh, tragedy, but also in the midst of that, some real moments of hope. Um, yes. And I think it's, yeah, that's the way I'm choosing to look back on the past year at least. 
So you knew what you were wanting to pour your life into with mm-hmm. nonprofit. Was there anything specific that sparked that? Um, for me, it was this ever-growing sense of call. It was It was in some ways a, a, uh, a move in the direction of the shift from pastoral ministry to outdoor ministry, mm-hmm. essentially, in the camping world um, was one of a uh, feeling a sense of call towards uh, leadership uh, that has its basis in ministry in a little bit different way. Mm-hmm. I've always been someone who likes to take on problems and then solve them in in creative ways. Yes. Um, I you know I I think that we have to we have to meet the challenges of today in creative and ever changing ways, and not that that can't happen within the bounds of pastoral ministry. Right. Um, it just happens very differently. And for me, that evolving sense of call was one that said, you know, fundraising is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't like to talk about money in the church. Right, right. But you know what? It takes money to make uh, dreams and visions happen. Um, and that's an important ministry in and of itself. And so that piece of leadership, um, you know, thinking about how do you, how do you build the brick and mortar structures to help hold those ministries that aren't necessarily worship ministries like you would see in a church building, but a ministry of, you know, in terms of the, the camping context, you know, retreat. Um, you know, we see in the Gospels Jesus constantly essentially ministering and then going away, yes. ministering and going away, and, you know, for retreat, basically. And so in the camping context, you know, how do we create retreat spaces that can then serve to enhance the overall health of the church. Um, so for me, part of that transition was thinking about that in terms of leadership. That took a step even further in terms of thinking about nonprofit because I was I was seeing and sensing where the nonprofits of the world, not necessarily religiously affiliated, are meeting those deep needs that I believe personally as a Christian we're called to minister yes. to. And not that the church can't, because the church does work with those experiencing homelessness, but nonprofits are suited ideally in some ways to be able to be mobile and then to be the vessel that the church is able to work with. Um, to, That's you know, beautiful. The, the church is able to help carry that. You know, open doors, we are not religiously affiliated. Right. Um, you know, we're not a, you know, I'm, I'm not ministering in the sense that I have in terms of pastoral ministry or even outdoor ministry, but... Our partners are groups like, uh, you know, First Church right here. Um, you know, the Methodist churches, the Presbyterian churches, the Episcopal church, the Lutheran church, the Catholic church, you know. Yeah, <laughs> the, they're coming the, together. The Christian and, church. Yeah. But we have then also the ability to bring in other people who are motivated by their faith. We yes. work with the Islamic Center. We work with the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these people are, whatever our differences in terms of our beliefs. Right they're still motivated to do good and, and, and to help and to care. And the fact that we can be a place where people that have different beliefs can come together for the common good, mm-hmm. uh, that's, a, that's a powerful thing yes. and something that I believe God is working through in an amazing way. Um, and I see it. I see people who have absolutely no faith whatsoever come to a place like Open Doors to the Low Barrier Shelter um, they're motivated because of their humanitarian concern, right? And they're still working for good in a powerful way. And it's those moments when we're able to. For me, it, it always begs the question: Is God still working? Mm. Yeah, absolutely, mm. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Do we name it that? 
not always, but it's but a pretty it. powerful thing to stand back and see people, no matter what it is that's driving them, doing good. Because good is good, no matter what. <laughs> um, and caring yeah. for the needs of others and thinking yeah. beyond themselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Serving our neighbor is, yeah, you're exactly it's right. It's the that's commandment, good. right? Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. It's, like, it's, you know, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's Jesus was pretty passionate about that. Open Doors works ecumenically. Yes. Um, and then even even across lines of faith. Um, and that's, yeah, that's just a pretty, that's a pretty powerful, um, that's a pretty powerful way that, God works with the creation in ways beyond what we can sometimes even envision. Yeah. And with the nonprofit and the other organizations, churches um, coming in, you begin to get this uh, place where we can come together mm-hmm. around one thing and make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is such a beautiful picture of, I believe, what we're supposed to do. You know, I think about Jesus in all through his life was sitting next to someone hurting, always being that love and mercy and grace and an extension of the love of the father to those that he walked with. And he did it with such grace, Mm -hmm. you know, so full of grace and mercy. And we know that he is compassionate to have a place that we can engage folks that are hurting um, with that love is so important, mm-hmm. and it's important. You know, I think about Open Doors and all of the churches that were able to open their doors and, mm-hmm. you know, welcome the folk into the church, and that was great, but a place where they can come back to the same bed yeah. every night and people can come to them. Yeah. There's something beautiful about that. Yeah, it is, and that's that's been one of the biggest ways that Open Doors has, I mean, we have had a grounds, <laughs> ground-shaking change in terms of how the organization operates. Um, I mean, our board chair really stepped in and took on some amazing leadership last year um, as the pandemic was essentially becoming a reality for us in you know uh, March, basically, of 2020. Churches were at the point where, you know, we couldn't rely on that as uh, there was so much unknown about the health crisis at that moment. We had to be nimble and shift and change very quickly. Uh, our board chair, uh, Graham Witt, took on uh, an, an extraordinary leadership role. Um, others in the community came together, uh, and that was the shift to Godwin Hall at, at JMU mm-hmm. for uh, for the remainder of the stay-at-home order till about June 10th of last year. Um, so I got to see the tail end of that mm. time uh, since I started June 1st. Um, but we knew going into the fall that rotating model of going to different churches right. Um, was going to have to change. We weren't going to be able to do that, in part because a lot of churches were still saying, you know, <laughs> the open doors, closed doors is an interesting image. A lot of churches still had to keep their doors closed yes. um, because there was still so much that we didn't know. There wasn't a vaccine. There, there wasn't, it wasn't safe. We couldn't guarantee people's health and safety. Right. And so uh, that is where um, the awesome folks at Redfront uh, came in. Um, you know, Redfront, this long-standing you know, source of bread, right, literally, right, for the community, right. um, you yeah. know, cl- closed, unfortunately. And that, in some ways, then opened a new door for us. It gave us the chance to have a space that was large enough so we could social distance people. It was um, semi-permanent in that, you know, we wouldn't be moving every week. Right. Uh, we could put our energy, all of a sudden, you know, 
25% of our capacity every week. I'm making up that number, but you know, 25% of our capacity was essentially packing up a shelter, putting right, it in a truck, right. moving somewhere else. And uh, you know, all of a sudden, we didn't have to do that. We could stay put, and all of a sudden, we could focus our energy in different directions right. and, and helping people um, you know, with uh, different services, with different opportunities. And in many ways, think about how the pandemic has maybe wearied you now imagine you you don't have a home. Right. Um, you know the ability for these folks who are experiencing homelessness to have a place every week that's familiar to them. To essentially, you know, we, it's still a shelter, but but essentially a place to come home to right. um, every night and to have that you know most basic of need met for them in the midst of a global health crisis, uh, in the midst of what is likely some kind of personal tragedy in their life because. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very few people choose homelessness. Right. right. Um, so true. You know, <laughs> Redfront opened the possibilities for us to dream in a different way, to catch a vision that was larger, and to work in a way that was creative to meet the need that nowhere else was doing. This just wasn't happening. Um, even in the midst of the pandemic last year at Godwin Hall, Harrisonburg had a shelter for homelessness, um, a low barrier shelter, and other communities were at the point where they were not offering this. So we had we had people calling from all over the state asking if the shelter was open because many other places had, had closed completely. So, you know, Harrisonburg is the friendly city. I mean, yeah. we, we really are a community of caring here. Yes. And that is just a, a blessing. So, yeah, so we're thinking creatively. We're thinking big. We're dreaming the possibilities. And we know that good things are ahead for the work and the outreach of Open Doors specifically. But we see it as an amazing opportunity now to even partner with churches that couldn't host the shelter in the past. I mean, you, you kind of have to have a building that's yeah. conducive to hosting right. the shelter. All of a sudden, a church that might be located in, you know, far off corner of the county right. that, you know, is a faithful bunch of 25 or 30 people that maybe couldn't support hosting the shelter can all of a sudden participate in, in that outreach ministry in a new way. And that's exciting. That's exciting to me to all of a sudden have this new opportunity for people to serve. Um, you know, I believe the Christian faith calls us to, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, yes. uh, you know, hand out cups of cold water. And you know what? Um, you know, most of our people don't come naked, but that's right. but they come needing they come needing winter coats. They come needing clean socks. Um, they come needing clothing. They're not naked, but their clothing is in need. Yes. Um, you know, they come hungry. We feed them when they come to the shelter. You know, we always have the jug of cold water, so to speak, ready for people. And so we are, I see our mission as being there to serve the people that we serve directly, those experiencing homelessness. But I also see us very much as a conduit. We're that circuit in between people who want to help but don't know how and the people who need the help and aren't always sure where to get it. So I, I really view that in terms of my ongoing call to ministry, all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're hands and feet, but we're also a a very important conduit at Open Doors to connecting churches, uh, people of faith, people who care about people, people who have no faith. Um, You know, we're we're the connecting point between that desire to help, that desire to serve, that desire to to do something positive for good, and people who, who are in deep need and likely at a really, really rough point in their life. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, and I think the pandemic opened our eyes to so many new possibilities of ministry. Yeah. Um, and I th- I was just sitting here thinking about the thermal shelter and, you know, packing up every week and going from church to church. And had the pandemic not happened, yeah. you may still be doing that. Likely would, yeah. You're exactly and correct. And yeah. I think about ways um, that we've been able to look at things differently. And so the pandemic has been hard and it's been tragic. Um, there's been so much loss. But as I look back, we've learned a lot. And I think God has done some work in our hearts. And I think maybe we're a little bit more open to do things differently than we've ever been. Yes, I think you're exactly right. I'm someone who I, I believe that the problems that we face have to be uh, have to be solved with creativity, um, with collaboration, with good communication. I think that we have to we have to work at transcending exclusion and injustice and inequality w- with creativity. We've got to get rid of boring ways of thinking yes. because they're just not serving us, they're not. and they're not serving creation in many ways. You're right. In a lot of ways, the pandemic gave us the chance to, I mean, we, I was a pastor, so I, you know, there's this whole kind of tradition and traditionalism and this sense in which, you know, the established patterns, um, I think sometimes even of our faith, become rote for us and they lose their meaning. Now, at the same time, I'll balance that by saying I also believe that tradition is a wonderful Yes. gift <laughs> and it helps us to connect in very meaningful ways so you know let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater right. but the pandemic gave us the chance to say what do we have to change right now in this moment how can we do it in a crazy creative way of thinking because all of the sudden the whole parameters have changed yeah. you know how can we think creatively and it gave us the opportunity to throw off some of those things and allow us to to maybe catch a new vision for what God is calling us to, and how that can serve us. And, you know, thinking specifically in terms of faith, how it can serve the church and the mission that it's charged with to think big, think differently, to kind of get rid of the boring ways of thinking Mm -hmm. in favor of something that is going to meet the need and serve the people we're called to serve and be life-giving for us in the process. Mm -hmm. I think that was one of the biggest things that I remember hearing last year, for you know, for so many people who were doing distributed worship, either you know via YouTube or Facebook Live or video, yeah. you know, these kinds of things, you know, there was something lacking in terms of how their faith was was feeding them, and they were naming that in in those terms. And so it gave you know the congregation that I worship with, we started you know worshiping outside, and all of the sudden to be at worship in literally in the middle of creation, underneath an oak tree, mm-hmm. out beside the church in a lawn chair was life-giving for, yes. for my faith in a way that, that would have never happened. Right. Those, those Sundays that we were sitting outside for worship, it would maybe have been life-giving, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gave us the chance to do things in meaningful ways still. And that's where I feel like we're at with Open Doors. We're still needing to think very creatively. We're needing to think big. We're needing to, uh, we're needing to ask some of these questions because, you know, as horrible and awful as a global virus is, it also taught us a few things. Um, you know, we, the, the statistics are, you know, that the flu was down this winter because we were wearing masks because right. we were distancing, you know. For us, in thinking about how we care for people compassionately in a shelter setting, it means that, you know, when we go to find whatever that permanent shelter is, it needs to be big enough that we can give people space because then it helps them to be healthier in this kind of congregate shelter setting. 
One of the other things, I call it my, it's the pressure cooker analogy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some fellowship halls where the shelter was hosted were smaller. Mm -hmm. And so that means there was like a bed mat, a chair, and another bed mat. And they were, you know, within eight feet of each other, Mm -hmm. three feet of each other. A pressure cooker works because you heat things up Mm -hmm. in this confined space. (laughs) And a shelter can be like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You, You get too much in too confined a space and it heats up. What we found is by social distancing people for the pandemic, mm-hmm. it put uh, less people further apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reduced the pressure, so yes. to speak, in the shelter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that that was a benefit. It That's helped, huge. Yeah, it, it helped yeah. people's mental health. It helped people's relational interactions with each other. <laughs> you know, they could have a little bit of space, a little bit of distance from one another. And, uh, you know, we have to, like, we have to, Think about how good can come from that, too. Um, And so that's, yeah. We learned some things, for sure. Yeah. Well, Joel, as you were talking, a couple things that you mentioned that I wanted to ask uh, maybe to expand on. You were talking about being the bridge kind of between the volunteers that help open doors and those that need the services of open doors. And also, you mentioned, you know, Inevitably, in ministry, we don't like to talk about it a lot, but money is, mm-hmm. in order to operate, we need money. And uh, any of these three, you can start whichever. But uh, if somebody's interested in volunteering and helping mm-hmm. serve through Open Doors, or if somebody listening today either is in need of the services of Open Doors or knows somebody in need of those services, or maybe they can't volunteer, but maybe they can support financially, how can people either get involved or Um, point people to Open Doors if they need those services. Yeah, definitely. Um, Probably the best source of information is going to be our website. It's uh, www.valleyopendoors.org, valleyopendoors.org. You'll be able to find, you know, information, of course, about the organization there, uh, information about volunteers. Uh, If you're interested in being a volunteer, that's the place to go for some uh, initial information. It's also going to be a conduit for donation as well. Uh, so uh, that is a, a place where people can make online gifts there as well. That's probably the biggest way. Um, we are looking at reopening the shelter uh, in July, early to mid-July. And so folks that are in need of those services, uh, that will be starting back up. Um, and that is in part due to the need that both we identified as well as some of our community partners who serve, um, serve those experiencing homelessness, as well as our governmental leaders. Um, really, the conversation uh, started through the city of Harrisonburg reaching out and saying, you know, hey, this is a need in our community. How can you guys help and how can we help you with that? So we, we really do have some great leadership um, in, terms of, in terms of our local leaders uh, in the nonprofit world, in our government, um, and just in the community in general. So that is, that is happening there for that. Um, but you did. You mentioned, you know, we do. We see ourselves as that conduit, that bridge that helps to, uh, helps to put people who want to help with people who need the help. Um, and that, that's an important piece. Heading into the time at Redfront last fall, one of the largest questions that I'll be completely honest, um, we kind of went on a wing and a prayer or, uh, you know, <laughs> we kind of guessed um, because we didn't know we could, in terms of management, I could make my best guesses about what it was going to cost, but mm-hmm. nobody really knew. We didn't know what actual uh, ongoing semi-permanent shelter mm-hmm. was going to be. And in hindsight, now now that, now that all the bills are paid, now that, <laughs> you know, the, the calendar has turned, um, 
we run a very efficient operation. Um, churches donate the meals, um, provide volunteers. We operate, um, we operate with two on-site staff uh, at all times, in part because that's our uh, operating requirement uh, based on getting our ability to, to operate from the city, but also it's the safest way in terms of risk management to have double coverage on staff. Uh, so paying staff, uh, the building, the utilities, the, uh, you know, the just basics that we need to, to be able to operate with a significant portion of that being donated in terms of toiletries and clothing and items and these, you know, in-kind gifts. Um, what we found is that it literally costs us about $1,000 a day to operate the shelter. Um, so if you figure, a, you know, a month of 30 or 31 days, it is costing us to operate a, about $30,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that's a pretty lean and efficient we're, we're not uh, you know we're not being extravagant right. with <laughs> with, right. with, what, with what we're doing um, with that and so so it, it is it's it's uh, it's an important piece and and as a nonprofit you know we do we we rely on the generosity of the community to help support that uh, help support that work um, there are grant opportunities there are public funding options um, but we really rely on the really the goodness of individuals faith communities, and, uh, and other organizations in the community that care uh, to help us to do that. Yeah. So there are ways, even if, even if you're not someone like, like yourself, uh, Grayson, who wants to come down to the shelter and help with meals, um, you know, writing a check, <laughs> donating to that is just as important a way uh, to make sure that people who, who don't have a home have a warm, safe, healthy place to go and spend the night when, when they find themselves in that situation. You talked early on that there was just a lot of things that were really good that happened. Um, is there, of course, just an anonymous story of how the shelter changed someone's life? The problem is not coming up with a story. It's naming just one. <laughs> right, right. Um, we had a guest who totally unexpectedly found himself without a home, um, and he was trying hard. He was doing the job search thing. He wanted he wanted to get back to that place where where he had a place of his own that he could call home. He he wanted to get back on his feet. And I remember one day I was I was heading over to the shelter to drop off some supplies, and he was he was sitting there uh, waiting. And I talked with him for just a couple minutes, and it was clear that that was what he wanted. He wanted to get back to to that place of good balance of having a home, of having a job, of, of having some of these things in, in life together. Uh, and he ultimately did. By the mm-hmm. time we closed in May, he had, uh, you know, within a couple weeks of me talking with him that day, you know, I saw him again and, you know, he had a job. Yeah. Uh, he had a job and he was working at it. He was still coming and staying at the shelter every night, but he had a job. Uh, and by the time the shelter closed, he had, he had found an apartment. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, he was in that um, one of the things we like to do when we hear somebody has housing is put together a laundry basket of things. We kind of find out, what do you need? You know, do you need bath towels? We go and get them a couple bath towels. We, do you need a pillow? We, we throw a pillow in there. We throw some, some basics, some cleaning supplies, some of these kinds of things. And, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we're always glad when that's the story. And that's, that is what, what, we, what we always hope for. We, we want people to move from experiencing homelessness to having that place, that uh, that space they can call their own, because you know that is that's the foundation in some ways for us, 
for success is to have have those kinds of places where we can call home. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Open Doors, we, we see ourselves as an important place for people to to find stability so that they can get back on that track. Yes. Um, you know, that doesn't negate, you know, the fact that there's a, a, an abundance of reasons for why people find themselves at a place of homelessness. Uh, there are issues of addiction, of alcoholism, mm-hmm. of mental uh, mental health. Um, these are the realities, and we work with partners to try and work with those things as best we can. Yeah. But the stories of people like that who just need some foundational bedrock stability and we're able to do that for them. They're, they're the things that make you think, yeah, this is this is why we do this. Absolutely. This is why it happens. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I thought it's just good to hear those stories of how it's not that this is ongoing for everyone, but people come to find hope. And, and you know, it's through a conversation. It's through the church putting themselves, having a place to come together to have that conversation with that person that gives them hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, reminds them they're not alone. Right. You know, homelessness can be a, a deeply isolating mm-hmm. experience, and to, to know that people care, that gives hope. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah, you're exactly Call them by right. name. Right. Learn their exactly. name first thing. Exactly. Look they're them in people. The eye. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're people. They're people yeah. first. Absolutely. People first. Yeah. Thank you for being at Open Doors. And yeah. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I'm grateful yeah. for the yeah. chance to talk. Absolutely. Joel, it's been good to have you. Uh, Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today as we've talked with uh, Joel Ballou, the Executive Director of Open Doors, that it's been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Hope Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisburg, Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.